I was walking through my den at home, and I noticed over on the bookcase a book, just a little blue book, just stood out. It wasn't that thick. It was called Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill. And uh, the Holy Spirit said to me, you need to have him at Cottage Hill Baptist Church. I said, first of all, Lord, I don't know him. I mean, I'd heard of him. I'd had the book. But I know he's not a Baptist. (laughs) But I said, I'll tell you what. I really believe you spoke to me. If you have somebody mention his name to me, I'll ask him to come. Well, I was going somewhere to preach that at night, and I was on the way out to go uh, to preach, and um, Herb was going to ride with me. Usually I let him drive, but then I've quit. He's too old for that. But, uh, <laughs> but he was going to drive, and so help me. He got in the car, and we drove 150 yards, and he said, have you ever heard of Leonard Ravenhill? I said, my Lord, I have got to find him. You know where he was? I couldn't find him. One of the greatest men of God of this generation. He was in Seguin, Texas. You say, where in the world is that? 50 miles south of San Antonio. This was maybe my one of two times I encountered an angel. So it was on a Wednesday night after church. I said, all right, I got to go find him and ask him if he'll come preach at this church. So I got a ticket and I flew to Houston and changed planes and was going to go from Houston to San Antonio, rent a card and go to Seguin, Texas. So I flew out and I got into leaving after church on Wednesday. I got in there about 11 o'clock. It was late. Wasn't many people moving around in the airport at that time. And I went up to the, um, it was Delta, I went up to the counter. I said, uh, now, um, I, I'm, I need to catch the flight uh, to San Antonio. What gate is it going out of? And she said, it's going out of gate so-and-so. Now, on my ticket was Mobile to Houston, Houston to San Antonio. That was it. She said, it's going out of gate 30-something. She said, by the way, Seguin, Texas is only 50 miles from San Antonio. Well, I turned around and walked away from that gate, and I said, how does she know I was going to Seguin, Texas? It wasn't on my ticket. I went back, and she disappeared. And that was God saying to me, you going to need this because when he comes, I'm going to stir everything up. (laughs) So I got the car, and you know he was living on a, way out in the middle of nowhere. And he was there with his wife, and he was there to pray. That's what he was there for. Mighty man of prayer. Oh, my God. I mean, you know, he was the one that told me. He said, um, now, if I come to Cottage Hill, I'm going to preach for an hour and a half every time. I said, come on. We don't, we don't, it ain't going to bother me. I don't know about the rest of them, but it ain't going to bother me. And this is what he told me, too. He said, time is the enemy of revival. He said, if you ever get pushed and rushed, it's a good chance you're going to miss God. Well, anyway, I talked to him. We prayed. And you know the only reason he came? He said, well, tell me about your church. I said, well, 
We've been praying for revival. We have a prayer meeting on Friday nights that we pray three or four hours. He said, y'all, y'all praying on Friday nights for two or three hours for revival? I said, yeah. He said, any church that's praying for revival said, I'll come. He came the 1st of January, 1979, and stayed for two weeks. Now, I told that to tell this story, to get into my message. He had finished preaching one night at Cottage Hill. And, and the presence of God was like a cloud over that place. It was like a cloud. Everybody knew that we were in the presence of God. The altar was full of people. People were getting right with God. People were getting changed. It, it was a powerful, powerful time. Been unbeknownst to me, uh, a man walked up to the pulpit. I didn't know who he was. Didn't know why he walked up there. But he began to sing. And everybody that was there, they, they may not remember the service, but they'll never forget the song. He began to sing. And it's like the glory of God. The song he sang was this, is your all on the altar. I'm going I'm I'm to sing the first verse and the chorus. I'm no singer, but I want you to listen to the words. You have longed for sweet peace and for faith to increase and you have earnestly, fervently prayed but you cannot find rest and be perfectly blessed until you're all on the altar you lay. And this is a chorus. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart does the spirit control You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield him your body and soul. So I want to preach to you this morning. Is your all on the altar? Now you need to understand that you're going to have to answer that question. You're not going to be able to avoid it. There's no way you're going to be able to get around it. Right from the word of God, I want you to let the Holy Spirit search you and find out. It says, you'll never be blessed and find sweet rest until you're all on the altar you lay. So the question is, is you're all on the altar? You know, salvation is a free gift. It is a gift from God. God in his greatness, his majesty, his love, his glory, saw us sinful and separated from him. And in his great love with which he loved us, God sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross in our place, to take our guilt, sin, and shame, to pay the price for our salvation. And I want you to know that salvation is a free gift from God. It is not by your works. 
You know that great passage in Ephesians chapter 2? It begins over with uh, verse 4 through 6. And, and, and it makes it so clear about salvation that, uh, that it's not by good works. Ephesians 2, and I'm going to read verses 4 through 6. It says, um, here it is. Now, this, this verse, listen to this description of God. But God, who is rich in mercy, are you glad he's rich in mercy this morning? I'm glad he's not running out of mercy. Hallelujah. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Do you know how great God loves you? You say, Brother Fred, I'm not lovable. That doesn't matter with God. He loves you. But with, we know, but God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now, verse 8, here it is. For by grace, you have been saved through faith in Jesus, not of your works, lest any man should brag. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is a free gift from God. You repent of your sins. You absolutely turn to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone and cry out for his mercy and ask his forgiveness. And you receive him as your Lord and Savior. However, let me say this to you. While salvation is a free gift, it costs you your life. Oh, yeah. It costs you your life. Because you see, when we come to Jesus, he says, if you really want to find life, you've got to lose it. And when you lose it, you'll find it. Over in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26, I want you to listen to what Jesus said. Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Jesus said, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, Okay, Lord, I, I want to follow you. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Let me put it this way. Let him die to himself. If anyone seeks to come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. Now get this. Whoever sees, seeks to, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. If you say, I'm going to hold on to my life. I'm going to live it the way I want to live it. I'm going to do what I want to do. It's my life. I'll do with it what I will. He said, you're not ever, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. You're not ever going to know life. You're never going to know it. He said, if anyone... He said, if anyone seeks to save his life, he will lose it. But whoever loses his life, dying to yourself, letting him be the Lord of your life, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then he said, let me ask you a question in verse 28, verse 26. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Let me ask you something. 
What are you willing to sell your soul for? Are you willing to sell it for a sexual encounter? Are you willing to sell it for another shot of drugs? Are you willing to set it to, to be greedy and covetous? What are you willing? What price is on your soul? I just want to know what price is on it. What will you sell your soul for? said, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? So salvation is a free gift from God. But then, once you come to Jesus, he says, okay, you're saved. Your sins are gone. Now, you're mine. You're mine. You belong to me. I am your master. Now, there are four things about how you know if you put your all on the altar. Four. One of them is a declaration made by Paul. And then three of them are incidences in the life of Jesus where he makes it clear that you've got to put your all on the altar. I mean, and by the way, it's called all, A-L-L. And you know what all means? All. All right, here's the first declaration. In 1 Corinthians 6, 18, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says very clearly, it says what? Do you not know? Obviously, some of them didn't know. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you have from God. Now listen to this. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. You know, most people say, well, thank the Lord. My sins are forgiven. I'm saved. Jesus is in my life. I'm headed for heaven. But you know what? I'm just going to control my life on the way. I'm just going to be in charge. You know, but Jesus said, hold it. Through Paul, he said, wait a minute, you don't understand. When you came to me, you gave up your life. You say, I don't like that. Whether you like it or not, that's exactly what you did if you came to Jesus. He said, your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. He said, now let me tell you something. You're not your own. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to Jesus. I love what Miss Bertha Smith used to say when people say, I know what you're saying. You say, I have a right to myself. She said, you do not have a right to yourself. Because when you got saved, Jesus bought you and paid for you. And I want you to understand, you belong to Jesus. I said, amen, you're right. says, for you're not your own, you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God. So there's the declaration that we belong to Jesus. So therefore, he has every right to ask us, put your all on the altar. Don't you hold anything back. Don't you, don't you, don't you put any restrictions on me. Don't you say, okay, God, but. No, no, don't do that. He said, you belong to me. I'm a good master. I'm a loving master. I'll bless you. The, def- the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He says, so just understand that you belong to me and said, 
I want you to understand this. Do you realize what it cost you to be saved? Do you realize? 1 Peter 1.18. Knowing that you were redeemed. And that word means to purchase and to pay for. You look it up, it means to purchase and pay for. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. Brother Fred, you mean to tell me that silver and gold are corruptible? Compared to the blood of Christ, yes. For you were redeemed with, for you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from the aimless conduct and the tradition of your fathers. But listen to this: you were redeemed by the, but by the precious blood of Christ. Your salvation was not purchased and paid for by silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Christ. As a lamb without spot and blemish. Okay. So the declaration is this. We're not our own. We belong to Jesus. He purchased us and paid for us. And so therefore he is our master. And we are his bondservant. Our bond slave. And he has every right to expect us to put our all on the altar. Here's the second thing. There's an exhortation. In, in Luke 14, I want you to listen to this. Luke 14, Jesus uh, tells us a very, very important story. And it begins um, in the 25th verse of Luke 14. All right. So first of all, there's the declaration, we belong to Jesus. Okay. Then here's the exhortation that Jesus gives in this story. I'm beginning to read in verse 25. Now, great multitudes went after him. Boy, a lot of them. And he turned to them and said, now, boy, this is, this is pretty tough a message Jesus gave. I'm going to tell you what he meant by it. If anyone comes to me, this is verse 26. Now, get this. And does not hate his father and mother. Wait a minute, Jesus. He said, hold on, hold on. If anyone comes after me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, we know Jesus would never tell us to hate anyone. He said, if you hate your brother or so, said, you, you, you don't belong to me. But this is what he, he's using comparative terms. This is what he's saying. He said, Your love for me should be so great that compared to any other love, it's almost like hate. You should love me so much that more than you do your mother or your father or your brother or your sisters. He said, your love should be so great for me that compared to that, it would be like almost like hate. He said, if anyone loves father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children more than me, And even his own life, you cannot be my disciple. And he says, whoever does not bear his cross, that means dying to yourself. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Three times he said, you can't be my disciple unless you love me supremely. You can't be my disciple unless you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. You can't be. And he goes on and says, uh, in verse, uh, he talks about uh, 
counting the cost of being a follower of Jesus. He talks about counting the cost of being a child of God. Let me read in verse 29. Which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first, count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? He said, now, you're going to build a tower, but you say, now, I need to figure out how much it's going to cost me to build that. So you sit down and you count how much it's going to cost you to build the tower. Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. You remember when the uh, housing crash came and everybody's house went from here to here, you know, and, and you know, everybody lost the value in their homes. We'd moved over in, 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 in Raleigh subdivision, and there's this hill that you go down, and I used to walk and go easy down the hill and drag up the hill. But there was a house on the left that all they had done, they had laid the foundation and they'd put up the walls. But it wasn't finished. For one year, it wasn't finished. For two years, it wasn't finished. For three years, it wasn't finished. Obviously, he started building that house. But the bottom fell out and he didn't have the money to finish. And it was an eyesore. He should have counted the cost. But you know, one day somebody bought it. And I walked past it yesterday. It was yesterday, day before yesterday. It's been finished now for three years. The yard's beautiful. The flowers are beautiful. I said, thank God they finished the house. But Jesus is saying, now listen. You've got to count the cost of following me. It says you're all on the altar. Oh, yeah. He said, you've got to count the cost of what it means to follow me. You, you all's got to be on the altar. He said, you don't want to start and not be able to finish. After you've, in verse 29, after you've laid the foundation, you're not able to finish. And they begin to mock, saying, this man is to build and was not able to finish. Then in verse 31, he talks about a king going to war. And before he goes to war, says, now, I got 10,000 soldiers. They got 30,000 soldiers. I think I'm going to try to make peace and not go to war. He talks about counting the cost of somebody that goes to war. But I want to get you to verse 33. This is the verse. Look what it says. He said, now count the cost. Whoever, so likewise Jesus, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. He said, count the cost. It costs you everything. Now, I'm going to tell you something about the gospel. Salvation is a free gift. Eternal life is glorious. But I'm telling you, when Christ comes to live in you, he is your master, and he is your king, and he is your Lord, and you belong to him. And he has every right to say to you, if you do not forsake all that you have, you cannot really be my disciple. You cannot be a follower of me as long as you have refused to put your all on the altar. Does that mean a person that were saved by works? No. I'm talking about people that Jesus said you've counted the cost now. Remember this. Everything's got to be on the altar. Well, so there was another incidence. So there have been two things. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. So then there's the next one. Uh, unless you forsake all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. 
All right, we're talking about putting your all on the altar. Then there's another one, and it's found in that same 14th chapter, and it's called an invitation. Look at Luke 14, and I want you to look at verse 26. I love this. Okay, so Jesus is talking again in 14, chapter 14, and and, and we're going to begin reading with verse, um, well, I want to see, yeah, yeah, it's verse 16, all right, all right, where he gives that invitation. All right, here it is. Then he said to them, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. Now, that, that's, that's good. Don't you love to get invited to a supper? Somebody that really knows how to cook. I love that. I love home-cooked food. I wish I knew how to turn our stove on. But anyway, I love home-cooked food. When it's just two of you, you, you rationalize. Well, we can eat as cheap out as we can in. Yeah, because I don't want to clean up the cotton-picking dishes. I ain't cleaning them up. So I'll go get a hamburger and get indigestion. But anyway, we move on. He said, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant uh, at supper time to say to those who are invited, come, for all things are now ready. And here's the verse. So they all, with one accord, began to make an excuse. I can't believe that. It was a free supper. I promise you it was a good supper. But every one of them began to make an excuse why they couldn't come. One of them said, I bought a piece of ground and need to go see it. Well, if you already bought it, why do you need to go see it? You should have went to see it before you bought it. Another one said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I need to try them out. Well, I, why'd you buy? You better try them out before you buy them. Only one man had a valid excuse. You know what he said? I married a wife. I said, you're excused. That was the three excuses. I bought some ground, I got to go look at it. I bought some oxen, I got to try them out. And I married a wife, and she does not want to come. So we're not coming. Am I upset? Yeah, but we're not coming. This is what I want you to see. They all, with one accord, began to make an excuse. Now I want to ask you something. And I want you to listen to me carefully. What's your excuse for not putting your all on the altar for Jesus? God has called. He said, you've got to forsake all or you cannot be my disciple. He said, you're not my own. You're own. You're bought with a price. So what is your excuse for not putting your all on the altar? What is your excuse? People say, well, you know, I'd put my all on the altar, but I've got such a hard job. What's that got to do with it? I'd put my all on my altar, but I'm having trouble with my children. What's that got to do with it? I'd put my all on the altar, but my my husband won't go with me or my wife won't go with me. it'll, It'll just cause conflict. Well, what's that got to do with it? You see, you're not ever going to know peace and rest. And you're not ever going to know what an abundant life of real joy and peace until you 
put your all on the altar. Now, I guarantee you, all over this building, there are people that know I need to put, I need to lay it all on the altar. I need to lay it all. No reservations. Jesus, I am yours. You purchased me with your blood. I belong to you. I am going to hold nothing back from you. I'm going to put it all on the altar. But you're without excuse. You mean you're going to stand before Jesus one day and say, Lord, you saved me, Jesus. I was lost without God and without hope. I wasn't seeking you, but you sought me. And in your mercy, you came to me and you rescued me and you saved me and you changed me. And it was so good to know you. And here I am in heaven. But Jesus said, but wait a minute, at the judgment seat, he said, look here. There's a lot of wood, hay, and stubble here. There's a lot of wood, hay, and stubble here. Wasted, wasted. Why is that? Why is that? What excuse are you going to give him? What's going to be excuse? You don't have one. I wouldn't have one. He'd say, well, you give him an excuse. He'd say, but look, I, I came to live in you. I, I have the power to give you to lay down your life. He said, I worked in you. All you had to do was obey what I worked in you. He said, listen, I'm going to ask you now. I'm serious. I I want you to go to another level spiritually. I want want to go to another level spiritually. What is your excuse for not laying your all on the altar? What is it? It's not worth it. Don't do it. Get rid of it. Say no to it. It's not worth it. Here's the last one. There was a declaration, you're not your own, you're bought with a price. There was another exhortation, unless you forsake all and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Then there was an invitation to a great supper. But you begin to make excuses why you won't let Jesus, you won't place everything on the altar. So you begin to make an excuse. This is the last one. And it's an application. I want you to look in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. This is a very familiar passage. We know it is the passage about the rich young ruler. I want you to notice about this man. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17, verse 17, I want you to listen to this. Now, as Jesus was going out of the, on the road, one came running. Here's Jesus going down the road. Here comes a person running and knelt before him. Can I imagine that shocked Jesus? He was walking. All of a sudden, this man comes and drops on his knees right in front of him. So he asked Jesus a question. He said, knelt before him in verse 17 and asked, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus answered him, why are you calling me good? No one is good but but one, and that is God. Then he said to this young man, you know the commandments, you know them. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, do not covet, honor your father and your mother. Now listen to what this young man said. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have done. 
from my youth up. He said, it, I, I, I've been obeying those commandments all my life. Now, of course, Jesus knew that he'd probably broken most of them. But he didn't think he had. He thought he was all right. But the Bible says there's none righteous, no white one. All we like sheep of God. But Jesus didn't go there. He knew that wasn't his problem. He said here, and Jesus, it says, and he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Now, please listen to this. I don't want you to miss this. Then Jesus looked at him and loved him. Wow. He's fixing to lay it on this young, young man. But, you know, Jesus, this young man had ran. He had ran. And he had dropped on his knees at the foot of Jesus and said, Master, I don't want to die and go to hell. I want eternal life. I, I want to know how I can have eternal life. And Jesus said, well, keep the commandments. He said, Jesus said, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not murder. He said, all these I've done from my youth up. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Why did it put there in there? Because Jesus loved him. And by the way, let me tell you something. Jesus loves you. You, you believe the lie of the devil. There's nothing in me worth loving. That's a lie. I'm telling you, there's not a person in this room that Jesus Christ does not love. And I want you to know something this morning. When Jesus looks at you, he loves you. Don't quit. I'm telling you. Don't you believe the lie. The devil hates you and wants to destroy you. This world will use you and manipulate you. But I want to tell you something. Jesus loves you. Jesus looked at him. And loved him, and then he said it. Verse 27. One thing you lack. This is what got me thinking about this all on the altar. Jesus said to that young man, Okay, I heard everything you said, but there is one thing you have lacked. It's one thing that's keeping you from coming to me. It's one thing that's keeping you from surrendering to me. It's one thing for keeping you from going on to eternal life. He said, there's one thing you lack. I want to ask you a question. What is it in your life that is keeping you from putting your all on the altar? Now, what is it? If your all is not on the altar, if Jesus is not Lord, if he is not in control of your life, if you're still trying to hang on to your life and live it for yourself, I want to ask you one question. What is it that you lack? What's that one thing that you lack that keeps you from putting your all on the altar? What are you lacking? Everybody faces that. Sometimes you face it a number of times. I look at my life and there were times where Jesus said, Fred, there's one thing you lack. What are you going to do about it? I said, okay, let's deal with it, Lord. And it took me a while sometime and I got beyond it. 
and, and, and I put it on the altar. Well, I'll just tell you this. One time, oh, I, many times, but one time I'd really been offended by someone. And every time I'd go to church, it was when we were at Cottage Hill, he'd be, that would be the first person I'd see. <laughs> I'd look across the congregation, there wasn't nobody out there but him. And I tell you the truth, I was having trouble forgiving him. No, I wasn't having trouble. I wasn't forgiving him. So I'd get out on my knees in my study and say, Dear God, I gotta get, you got to help me. I can't do this. I can't. Finally, he said, Okay, you're going to let it go. He said, There's one thing you lack. You've got to forgive that person. And I mean, you have got to really forgive them. Cut them loose. Set them free. Cancel the debt. Wipe the slate clean, and you got to not only forgive them, but you've got to love them with my love. I said, okay. It's on the altar, Lord. It's on the altar. And it was. And praise God, I got free. And I got so close to this person, when I, he moved out of town, and when I went out of town, I spent the night with him. <laughs> well, that had to be God. One thing you lack. You say, Brother Fred, that's kind of personal. Yeah, it is. Christianity, following Jesus, is personal. Can't nobody do it for you. One thing you lack. And you know what he did? Jesus said, this is one thing you lack. Sell all you have and give it to the poor. And come and follow me. And here's the sad thing about the rich young ruler. Look at him. One thing you lack, go your way. Verse 21 Sell whatever you have, give it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Come take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful. He didn't put it on the altar. He went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. My, I wish you'd have said, okay, Jesus. Okay, Jesus. If that's what it takes. See, it wasn't anything wrong with him being wealthy. It wasn't anything wrong with that. But that was his God. That was what he loved more than anything else. And Jesus knew that. So he went straight to the heart and said, Now listen, you've got to put that on the altar. You've got to put it on the altar. And if you do, then you, you ain't got to worry about me taking care of you. You just got to, you, there's one thing you lack. You love your money more than you love me. And you've got to put it on the altar. And he said, I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. And he went away with a broken heart, knowing he was right at the door, but he didn't get in. You know one of the greatest things I ever heard? There was a great athlete in England, and they play cricket over there. I have no idea what cricket is. That's a bug that makes a noise at night. That's all I know. C.T. Studd was a great cricket player and he was famous and he had made a well over a million dollars but he got converted and he came to he came to Jesus and was gloriously saved and after about two months without anybody saying anything to him he gave away all of his money he gave away a million dollars and they asked him listen why did you do that why did you do that he said listen I didn't ever want to depend on my money. 
I wanted to have to totally depend on Jesus. And that's why I gave it away. One thing you lack. I want to ask you something. Is your all on the altar? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Who does not, who does not willing to forsake all cannot be my disciple. And with one accord, they begin to make an excuse. This is why, Lord, it's not on the altar. And then Jesus said, but there's one thing you lack. What are you going to do about it? And that's where you are. And that's what Jesus is asking to you. Will you put your all on the altar? Would you bow your heads with me?